Who are the very best and most likely candidates for the Jazz to pick with the 16th pick? Rafael Barlow Locked On, NBA Big Board, and I will discuss next on Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name's Leif Tuline, and I'm excited and honored to have the opportunity to fill in for David Locke this week and throughout the summer on Locked On Jazz. I'm a lifelong Utah Jazz fan who's a credentialed NBA draft analyst with Locked On NBA Big Board, attendee of the 2023 NBA Combine, Utah Jazz broadcast assistant and statistician the past two seasons, lover of college hoops, so I'll give you a unique perspective uh, for the NBA draft and just someone that does enjoy stats. So don't expect all the geeky numbers of typical Locked On Jazz to be gone. And I'll get you ready for the draft as the Jazz head to a critical juncture in franchise history with three picks this year and many more in the future. Thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Jazz is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Jazz, where the best way to help us grow is to comment anything below. And today's question is pretty straightforward. Who's your favorite target for the Jazz at 16? Title sponsor for today is Game Time, who they sponsor the show. And if you're anything like me, you want a free, a fast, affordable tickets to games. And at your easiest convenience, check out Game Time and get tickets near you. In the first segment, Rafael Barlow and I will will discuss some players. But I, I just want to check in on Rafael first. I know you were at the Combine even longer than I was. How yeah. are you doing and how many players have you seen in the past week? Uh, one, I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. I mean, the combine hours were crazy long. Like sometimes I'd get to the arena at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and I wouldn't leave until 1230. Sometimes they'd have to like boot me out. The Wi-Fi was good there. And, you know, when you're doing a podcast every night and you're, you're waiting until everything is done to record, you got to stick around because, uh, you know, anybody that's traveled, that's had to upload 20, 30-minute videos knows that, I mean, the, the Wi-Fi is, is terrible in hotels. So I spent a lot of time there, but it was actually cool because even when I was there late, I got a chance to watch different people uh, come in and, and do their private workout. So that was that was pretty cool for me. And as far as players I've seen, I don't know, I guess you'd say 100. I mean, you figure this, there, well, I don't know that much. I know there were 78 guys that are invited to the Combine a large percentage didn't actually participate, but then you had the pro days and some of the pro days had guys that weren't invited to the combine, but they were a part of their, their agency pro day. So, I mean, I, I guess a hundred guys. Yeah, it, it was definitely a, an immersive process that Raphael, Richard and I got to go to, and we we're appreciative of it, but without further ado, I'll give you a little bit of a roadmap here in the first segment, Raphael will break down uh, two players of the Jazz that I view as likely candidates, and we'll get Raphael's view for the Jazz at 16. They're long, rangy forwards, Leonard Miller and Noah Clowney, and discuss why or why they aren't fits for the Jazz. The second segment will be more of the same, where he and I analyze the fit and upside of two guards expected to be selected in this range in Indiana's Jalen Huchifino and Michigan's Kobe Bufkin. And the final segment, Raphael and I will break down two guys with immense potential, but who may be a bit tougher to project, a little more risky in South Carolina's Gigi Jackson and Arkansas's Nick Smith. So like I like I mentioned, Rafael and I were at the Combine for copious hours. We picked each other's brains, watched a lot of players. 
But even after all that, I wanted to give you guys a different uh, perspective for the draft. I've mentioned all these players that we're going to talk about today as possibilities for 16. And I told you all week I'd give you a deep dive. So I wanted not only my opinion, but someone whose opinion I very much value and I love to bounce my thoughts off of in Raphael's. So let's start with Leonard Miller and Noah Clowney. Uh, Leonard Miller is the one I have ranked higher. So where do you have him on your board? And then what do you see his role being in the NBA, whether the Jazz or not? And then if you have one, what was his specific fit for the Jazz? I have him, I think I have him going number 20 on my latest mock. And he, very, very unique player, simply because he thrived in a role this year, which isn't the role that I thought he would play like last year when I saw him at the combine, I'll be honest, Leonard Miller was absolutely awful. He was the worst player at the combine by far. And then I saw a different player when he played for the ignite and the, the big showcase that was you know highlighted by Victor Wimbayama and Scoot Henderson. And there's actually one play from the second game that stands out is he went to try to block Victor Wimbayama's dunk and, we all know by now Wimbayama is 7'5", with a, like, what, 7'9", wingspan, almost 8-foot wingspan. And Victor, I mean, just power dunked through Leonard Miller. He ended up falling on the ground. He got up, no expression on his face, and, and, and went to playing. Like, he wasn't embarrassed. It didn't phase him. It didn't bother him. And that's when I kind of thought, like, okay, this guy's he's a little bit different. And... This year he had, I mean, just had a huge, huge season for the Ignite, especially in the second half in March. I mean, the numbers were crazy in March. I have them right, right here in front of me. It was like 22 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, shooting splits were, were, were crazy. And I think that Leonard Miller is, here's the numbers for you, 22 points, 12.9 rebounds, two assists, one steal, 1.7 blocks, 64, 58. Now, that's a small sample size. But 64, 58, 90 shooting splits in March. Trending in the right direction. And he did all this as really like a dunker spot big. And he didn't really get a chance to showcase the passing and the point forward skills that he flashed last year at the Combine and, and really what got him on, on the radar. So if you can put all that together, I mean, Leonard Miller could end up being a really special player. Yeah, that's one of my favorite attributes about him, that he was touted as a point forward who happens to have the measurables in the same ilk of a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who is just pretty rarefied air. He's six foot ten and a half with a seven foot over a seven foot two wingspan and hands that are big enough to be in the same breath as Kawhi Leonard. Uh, the people that are like that are OG Ananobi, uh, Tari Eason, Patrick Williams and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, that, that's pretty rare. And then he's known for passing. And all of a sudden he goes to the G League and plays against grown men as a 19-year-old and finishes the season. This is without any hot sparts. This is just his total stats. 17 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, two assists per game, a steal, nearly a block, and 79% from the free throw line. His shot's not beautiful. He shot about 30% from three. Um, but it looks like it's improving. I've seen highlights from pro days that he's, he's put on. Uh, Draft Express tweeted one out. And it looks better. I'm not going to say and try to disillusion you into saying, wow, this guy's a stretch five or anything crazy. But I think there's a lot of versatility, and I think he's got an immediate role for the Jazz of he could play the backup five minutes, could also play power forward, and on most draft sites, he's listed as small forward. So I think there's positional versatility, 
And I think there's sneaky upside because of what he was touted for early in his career uh, as a prospect was uh, playmaking. And now he does all this at a high level and has this demeanor about him that you described after being dunked on by Wen Benyama. It's businesslike, and he just moves on. So I, that's a guy that I would really strongly target for the Jazz. Yeah, and it, it it makes sense just because of the versatility. And if you can unlock the passing, you really have something there. And I, I talked to somebody, and when they, they watched him last year, actually, yeah, last year when he played at like Fort Erie, in, I don't know, some – small program in Canada. And I remember watching like the videos. It was like they were playing in like a YMCA. Like there's one particular game where, you know, like you go to a rec center and you can like see out, they got the windows and you can see like the parking lot. I'm literally watching Leonard Miller film. And I mean, I can see the people walking into the rec center. That's the level of basketball he was playing at, at this time last year. But they compared him to, like, Rhode Island Lamar Odom. That's who they thought he was. And like I mentioned, he showed some flashes of that at the Combine last year. But we didn't see much of it in the G League. But we ended up seeing, like I said, a, a dominant rebounder. And, I mean, his his knack for getting offensive rebounds and scoring on hustle plays is is, is one of the best in his draft. If you put all that together, the free throw shooting – tells me that he does have decent touch. The form is a little different, but if he puts it together as a passer, rebounder, energy guy, and shooter, again, I mean, you got you one in Utah if, if you get him at, at 16. Absolutely. And another guy that I think is in a similar ilk of a player, and you don't, you, he doesn't quite have a position, but he's uber productive, played out of position, I'd argue, at Alabama. I think he's more of a stretch five that can play the four than a four that can play the five. And that's Noah Clowney. He's a freshman as well. Uh, just to introduce you to Alabama's Noah Clowney. Clowney is someone that that was good by counting stats, but he was better by analytics. And he played on the best team in college basketball by my estimation. I know they didn't win the championship, but for most of the year, Alabama was the best. 89th percentile as a, cut, uh, as a cutter. Uh, pick and roll finisher, 71st percentile. 84th percentile at the rim. 86th percentile on layups was forced to play out of position in a kind of crowded paint with Charles Bediaco. So I value those numbers, and I think he's a defensive and rebounding machine. And so those that's another guy, Noah Clowney, that I think could be an instant impact player with a sneaky high potential. What do you, what do you think about Clowney? Yeah, my biggest concern is that 47% of his field goal attempts were threes, and he shot 28%. And so everybody is saying – Oh, man, there's upside as a shooter, stretch five. But it's like the narrative would be totally different if it was somebody that people didn't like. If it were Leonard Miller, maybe, and nearly half of his field goal attempts were threes and he shot 28%, I think people would criticize him as he shoots too many threes. But because he came out of nowhere, and I mean, another example would be Derek Lively. If 47% of Derek Lively's field goal attempts were threes, and he shot 28%. He would get criticized. But because Clowney literally came out of nowhere, wasn't on anybody's list as a one-and-done, wasn't really highly, highly touted. I mean, you got to be highly touted to go to Alabama, but he wasn't like, you know, the McDonald's All-American and all that. He gets the benefit of the doubt over, you know, somebody that, like I said, Derek Lively. I do think that there is potential as far as the shooting touch. He does have size. I think 16 is a little high for him, but 
I have been told by someone really close to him, and their exact words were, you're going to be surprised where he goes. So, I mean, maybe 16 is the range, but based off of like how I feel, I think 16 is a little high. But, again, I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, I, I can see why that is. It could be a bit rich based off the production. Uh, for the record, where I have them on my big boards, just so to give a range for my estimations, I've got uh, Leonard Miller 13th on my big board and Noah Clowney 16th. So I actually have them both very much in this possibility. And, and my rationale is basically this. I think both these guys are very safe as prospects with high floors, and they could give you fairly immediate returns as 19-year-olds and with sneaky high potential, because I think Leonard Miller's got more in his tool bag than he was able to demonstrate at, with the G League Ignite playing pros. I think Noah Clowney was forced to play out of position and take those 47% of his shots at threes because he played with bigs like Charles Bediaco and Noah Pringle. So they played him because he was too good to keep off the court, but they also wanted to keep their enormous size. Um, I, I really think both of them could be defensive stoppers. But coming up next, Raphael and I will break down the games of two Big Ten point guards who could be available for the Jazz at 16 and could be in serious contention to hear their names called by the Jazz at 16, should the Jazz draft a wing at nine in particular. But first, let me tell you about game time. If you're like me and love sports, it can be a stressful time to put together plans and buy tickets for games, tournaments, and what have you. But I wish I knew more about game time last year and a little bit more this year. I just heard about it by the time I was trying to put together my March Madness tickets. And it, boy, it could have saved me some time and some money. Uh, I, I, it turned out to be quite a hassle. Another thing that game time can do is it gives you like a 360 view of where you're sitting. So you kind of don't have to worry about getting surprised. I was surprised by one of my tickets this year, and I was a little disappointed in that. Game time provides easy to find and buy tickets, easy access to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. It's not just sports. You can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more, which can be a lifesaver. Snag tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code locked on MBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Welcome back into Locked On Jazz. And I wanted to thank you guys for making Locked On Jazz your first listen. And thank you guys for listening to me this week. Uh, what you have to look forward to is the return of the boss man. David Locke will be back for next week's episode. So I don't know exactly what he's got on tap, but I assume it'll be something brilliant. But back to action here with. Rafael Barlow of Locked On NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and someone that I've been talking to a lot the past couple of weeks about the NBA Draft. So I, I, I thought I'd try to get his insight on some of these guards that are around the range at 16. A lot of the talk for the Jazz is at nine. What are they going to do at nine? Should they take Casey Wallace, Anthony Black? Will one of the wings come down? But we haven't explored at 16 very much. And I think there's a treasure trove of guards down there. So I'll just ask Rafael this question. So Jalen Huchifino, Kobe Bufkin, there's a couple of other guards, and we'll get to one later. Do you see these guys as players that can go in between 10 and 20? And how much uh, potential do these guys have, and which one do you prefer? Cool, that's a good question. I, I do have them going between 10 and, and 20. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Bufkin ends up climbing into the back end of the lottery. Huchifino, I mean, he has the size. He, he measured well in, in Chicago. And he is someone that, I mean, if you really think about it, like, is there really that big of a difference between him and Anthony Black? 
is it that wide of a gap where people think, oh, you know, Black is pretty much secure in the lottery, and Hood Shafino, people are saying, oh, he can go anywhere from 15 through 20, 15 through 25, and that's just a, a, a question. Actually, I want to ask you, do you think there's that big of a gap between those two, and why? Uh, I think Anthony Black's a better defender than either of these guys. Uh, that's the reason I think Anthony Black has this appeal that he has is he's bigger and a better defender than that of Kobe Bufkin. He's about the same size as Hood Shafino in terms of height. Hood Shafino is a little burlier, uh, but he's this active live wire athlete who can defend. Uh, I actually, I think I'd go the opposite way with you on this and on which player I prefer. I, I like Jalen Hood Shafino just a touch more than Kobe Bufkin. I think the consensus is that Bufkin's the one rising right now. But I really like the ability for Jalen Hutchifino to get to his spots, score in the mid-range. I think some of his greatest strengths are those that uh, are going to punish defenses the way it's played in the NBA. Like, he is very good at scoring in the mid-range. Uh, I copied some notes down uh, from mine, and I, I think it's consistent with pretty much anyone's scouting report on him. His, he's at his best in the pick and roll. That's really good for the modern NBA. He plays with good pace. He gets the middle. And what he does well is he punishes drop coverage. And that's what the majority of the NBA is playing right now. And then if you look at his isolation statistics on synergy, which is effectively isolation comes off of switches for the most part, he's 94th percentile in isolation. Is he a great point guard yet? No, but I think he's got the traits to become a better point guard. And I think he's got more experience at the point guard position than does Kobe Bufkin. But I'm not down on Bufkin at all. I just think that Hood Shafino is a player that has more upside than maybe people really perceive because he played in a fairly archaic offense at Indiana. So I'm going with Bufkin because I like rim pressure and Bufkin shot. Last time I looked, it, 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 I don't know if it was a game or two after that, but he was shooting 71% at the rim. 71% at the rim in college 92nd basketball. percentile. Yes. I just I have that up for you. Ninety second percentile at the rim, quantified as excellent. Yes, and there's I mean it's the Big Ten. There's not great spacing in the Big Ten, so I'm picturing him attacking the rim with NBA floor spacers, and I think that he could end up being like a lottery pick just because the the pressure that he can put on the rim. I think he can make the right reads. And he's a guy that when you do like your scouting reports and you got strengths and you got weaknesses or areas of concern, Bufkin is is one of the few players, I'd say him and Case and Wallace, where you're like, right, what is their biggest glaring weakness? And I don't think he has a, a, a major weakness. Of course, there's areas that he can improve on, but I think he's solid all the way around. And he's a guy that went from three points per game as a freshman last year. Now, he did enter early. And he was up to, what, 14 or 15 this year. And he's actually younger than some of the freshmen that are in this class. I know he's younger than his teammate, Jed Howard. So that's why I'm going with Kobe Bufkin. And I, but I like, I like Hood Shafino. And I do agree with everything you said, especially, like, with, with him being able to pull up and, and um, score against drop coverage. I had a stat for you, and I know you, you put up some stats. Um, he shot 38% on pull-up threes out of ball screens. I think that translates very well to the NBA. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll ask you one question on each of them, Matt, and it kind of overarchs just for our statistics for people who are unfamiliar. Bufkin, sophomore, he's actually a, a month younger than Hood Shafino, 14 a game, four and a half assists per game, three rebounds, 48% shooting from the floor, 35, 36% almost from three, 85% from the free throw line. Hood Shafino's 14 points a game, four rebounds, four assists, 42% from the field, 33% from three, and 78% from the uh, from the free throw line. So stats suggest Bufkin. What do you think their role would be both immediately and the long term in the NBA? And if you can kind of relate it to the Jazz, do you think these guys, should the Jazz take a wing specifically at nine, could step in and be starting point guard right away? Or what do you see their long-term potentials being and how quickly can either of them achieve it? I think maybe Hushafino could probably come in right away. I think there is a, you know, a glaring need for a point guard. But if you feel like Buffkin is a, a point guard, I know a lot of people kind of see him as a combo guard, but if you feel like he is that lead guard that can, like I say, you know, get to the rim and imagine, you know, him getting to the rim, which leads to lobs for, for Kessler. And then, or yeah, <laughs> you know, I always well, mess up. <laughs> throwing lobs to Kessler or even just dribble penetration and creating open looks for, for marketing. So I think he would be a good fit. Um, it just depends on if they see him as a point guard. I don't know if we haven't really had a chance to see him as a full-time point guard, like we, we did with Hush Fino. But I think either way, if they're available at 16, I think maybe not opening day, but I think by at least all-star break, one of them, if if selected, would be your starting point guard. Yeah, and I think for those of you, the everydayers who listen to each podcast this week, I touched on if the Jazz were to take a wing either by moving up, getting someone like Jairus Walker, Cam Whitmore, or they just happen to take one at nine, that taking a guard, especially one of these two, who I'm fairly high on, uh, for as for my big board, because I told you guys I would tell you, I have Hood Shafino at 15 and Buffkin at 17. So they're they're very much in the wheelhouse right here. I think that Buffkin would have a harder time adapting to playing point guard and having the the rigors of that because there you know there's going to be people on a lot of teams that are going to handle the ball and spell that duty. Whereas Lowry Markin's one of the more off ball stars or all-star caliber players in the NBA. He doesn't like to handle the ball as often. Uh, Jordan Clarkson very well could be on the move. So I think Hood Shafino has a more immediate impact. But Bufkin, someone, like you said, has no glaring deficiencies. Analytics and counting stats really love him. And he's someone that's newer to point guards. There's a lot of upside there. Jalen Hood Shafino, to me, has more star potential, should he really hit his hit his ceiling, then does Buffkin, but I think Buffkin might be safer because he's a little bit better on defense, a little bit better of an athlete, but it may not all be at the point guard position. So make of that what you will. I'm really curious to hear what you guys think, especially when I asked that question at the beginning, who's your favorite prospect at 16? Let me know between these kind of tiers that Raphael and I created. Um, this is an interesting process. 16 is a big pick as I went through the process of who's been picked at 16 the past 10 years. There haven't been a lot of great players, but I think this year there's a deeper class. And so I I think there's a fair likelihood the Jazz try to pick a guard here should they go wing. So I I mentioned these traits, and traits are something that you're going to hear us talking about for the next pair. Rafael and I are going to break down two polarizing prospects who could be in play at 16 and have some of the highest upsets should they hit, but they have some more developmental time in the foreseeable future 
than most of these prospects. But first, let me tell you about bird dogs. And ever since I returned from Chicago, I've been living in my pair of bird dogs. I got two pairs of bird dogs and a Yeti style tumbler in the mail that were sitting on my bed when I got back from Chicago. And I've been living in them. They're phenomenal. They're so comfortable. They look good. So much so that I went to a little party outside, went to a barbecue with it the first night I got back. And I wore my bird dogs and got compliments there. Then I went and played a tennis match the next day, wore my bird, bird dogs there. So that talks about how multifaceted they are. And they're good for everyday use. I mean, if you're in between a little outdoor party and tennis, there's probably any any everyday use at the office, uh, outside, anything you can use them for. They look good. They you can they also have pants and they can be used in a dressy occasion. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on MBA. And when you enter code promo code locked on MBA, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. And I also want to tell you about my friends at Murdoch Hyundai. Murdoch's have been in Utah for over 80 years. Hyundai's the best car for your money with safety features, bells and whistles and all, and amazing cars and amazing prices all throughout their stores littered between many locations in Utah. Linden, Murray, and Logan are the three locations here in Utah. The SUV lineup from the Kona to the Tucson to the Santa Fe to the Palisade all draw rave reviews. I know David Locks tried a lot of these cars. and In fact, my family, my parents are getting a Hyundai soon. And I'm looking forward to give you rave reviews on that as well. The Ionic 5 Electric was just named the Motor Trend SUV of the year by Motor Trend. And the new Ionic 6 is amazing. The electric, and it's got reviews saying that it looks just like a Porsche and just won the car of the year. So it's it works in performance and it's got a luxury look. Three locations, like I mentioned, Lyndon, Murray, and Logan. So talk to your Murdoch family anywhere you can and get yourself a Hyundai. Welcome back to Locked on Jazz for the boom, and boom, the boom or bust part of this show. Rafael Barlow of Locked on NBA Big Board, kind enough to join us for today's show. Rafael and I have been kind of pumping the, the horn for Gigi Jackson for a long time. He's someone that I've convinced a lot of Jazz fans, I know a lot of Jazz fans on Twitter, are very eager to see should he be at 16. I've even had people saying we should take him at 9. So, Rafael, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Why should the Jazz, if Gigi Jackson is there at 16, run to the podium and take him? And then what would your concerns be on the flip side? First of all, I want to know how come I haven't got my bird dogs. He said you had to wait. No, you, my, I checked the mail and uh, my bird dogs aren't here. So I got to find out who I need to talk to to get a pair of bird dogs. I'm a little jealous. As far as Gigi... And again, I might sound a little biased. I mean, I've been around him a lot recently. He did his um, pre-draft training here in Dallas, not too far from where I live. So I've probably been to maybe 10 to 20 of his workouts. So I've seen a lot of him. I'm, I'm high. I'm, I'm really high on the potential. And I think the Jazz are in a situation where they, you know, they have the luxury of being able to develop him. He's the youngest player in his class. He's only eligible for this 2023 draft by like 14 days. If he were born two and a half weeks later, he wouldn't be eligible because the, the NBA rule states you have to turn 19 in a calendar year. And he's born like December, like 17th. So just made it. He's supposed to be a senior in high school right now. He's literally supposed to be preparing for the prom, not for the NBA draft. So um, you're getting a guy who I think would be the number one pick in 2024 if he stayed in this class. 
And like I said, Utah has the luxury of being patient and, and being able to develop him. And I think once he, you know, figures it out, I, I think that he could end up being one of the top five players in this draft class in five years. Now there are a couple of teams that the fit may be a little bit concerning because they're even though they're like in this lottery range, they're really trying to win now. You know, whether it's Dallas or I mean, even like New Orleans, they're probably looking for somebody that's going to be able to come in and compete. I think the Thunder are trying to be competitive. Well, I think the Jazz are, but I feel like with all the picks that they have, they have just the ultimate luxury of being able to swing for the fences. And if he's available at 16, you got to take him. That's that's similar to my pitch. And, and to reiterate and then finalize my pitch, it's essentially – if you're looking for talent, if you're looking for someone to change your franchise down the road and you're not picking within the top four, I think he's just as good a candidate as anyone in this draft outside the top three or four picks to become an all-star, to become a superstar. Uh, so that that's my main pitch right there. The other thing is you, you nailed it. The Jazz have aspirations to make the playoffs, make the play in. Um, but those aren't as desperate of expectations as they could be for such as a team like the Mavericks who picked 10th right behind the Jazz at ninth because they have their superstar. Lowry Markin's a great player, but he's not on the same caliber as Luka Doncic. He's not the same caliber star as Zion Williamson when he's healthy, as you mentioned with the Pelicans. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander for to finalize the three that you named. So I think the Jazz have the luxury to swing for the fences and try to cultivate, mold this ball of clay that's the youngest player in the class, and try to have a star. And maybe at nine, you take someone that's a little more projectable. The one that comes to my mind is Cason Wallace. So I agree with you there. I think Gigi Jackson is an easy sell. What are some deficiencies that you you hear about him, or maybe that you personally see that would deter you? I, I'm not, I know you personally think that he should be going around this range, but that you think the Jazz could be scared of. Um, I guess if you just kind of look at the the numbers at South Carolina, the he was inefficient, and um, that probably be the the biggest concern is that um, he he'd have to definitely switch roles from being like featured and, and having total freedom to playing on a team that has marketing and you got possibly Clarkson. So I mean that that'll probably be the biggest concern, and of course he's. He's 18 years old. He's young. And he went to college in his hometown of Columbia, South Carolina. So this would be his first time, like, really being away. But that's why I think Utah is probably the best fit for him in, in that regard, because it's not Atlanta. It's not L.A. It's not New York. It's, it's I mean, you can get in trouble anywhere. And I'm not saying he's going to get in trouble. But the slower pace of Utah, the the long-term developmental plan i think that's probably like the one of the best situations for him so but like i said the concern would be more so of you know i could see somebody being concerned about his inefficient numbers and the turnovers far outweighed his assist yeah i think that's the real concern i think the positives outweigh the negatives and i think myself and most of jazz twitter that i interact with would be very thrilled to see him selected here at 16 and some would even be thrilled if he was selected at nine so speaking of one guy that you said might be the top pick should he have come out the following year which is his high school class let's transition to a guy that was by many projected to be the top college player in this year's nba draft 
and Nick Smith. Nick Smith Jr. from Arkansas is a combo guard. He drew comparisons early to guys like Bradley Beal, uh, someone like Jamal Murray. So you, what you what I'm saying there is he can score. He's got shot-making ability, and he's got a high upside in that regard. But why has he fallen to a point where you, the Jazz have an actual feasible chance of getting him at 16? I mean, he struggled with, with the injury all, all year. I still have him in my lottery because I guess I'm I'm putting it into context about why he did not look good. Number one, he was in and out of the lineup with what was called right knee management. And so he played a few games, missed 10. I'm just throwing out some numbers. Come back, play. And at one point, we didn't think that he was coming back. We thought that um, his, his camp or whoever around him was going to shut him down for the season. He opted to play. That's the thing I like. He chose to play when he could have just totally shut it down. And by choosing to play, I think it hurt his draft stock. I think people are focusing on what he looked like in the NCAA tournament. There were times where Arkansas looked like they were just better with him off the floor. And I feel like the fit with him and Anthony Black and Ricky Council wasn't the best as far as putting those three together on the court. I don't think their skill sets complemented each other. I think that if he were healthy, I think that he would have had a much better year, which, I mean, that's not I mean, that's not really like saying anything crazy. I will say that off the catch, I thought he was pretty reliable in, in a catch-and-shoot role. I think he shot like 37% on catch-and-shoot jumpers. His bread and butter and his favorite shot is the floater as far as just kind of getting to – into the paint, he has an incredible touch on his floater. It's just that's not something that we were able to see a lot of at Arkansas. So I think some team is going to go back and really like look at his high school film and and how well he played at the McDonald's game and how well he played at um, I want to say maybe it was Team USA. It was, it was maybe it was um, the the Nike Hoop Summit, I believe, because I mean scouts were high on him based off of you know, his high school resume, but they were really impressed with him at the practices at McDonald's and at Nike Hoop Summit. And I think that's what made him so highly touted this year by the scouts. And somebody's going to probably look back at, at, you know, the film from those practices and say, all right, this is what Nick Smith is when he's healthy. So I still think he goes in the lottery. So I'll push back a little bit. I, this is someone that I was a little lower on than the consensus entering the year. Um, I I had one guy that I really liked coming into college, and it ended up being Brandon Miller. And Nick Smith was everyone's favorite. And I my concern is he's a tough shot maker, which is something I liked about Miller. But Miller has the the fact that he's six nine, whereas Nick Smith's about six four. And I don't love the the scoring guard archetype where I they think they want him to be a point guard in the NBA. And I don't know if he's got the point guard chops. Like he was, he was billed as the point guard. Anthony black is the shooting guard coming into Arkansas and Anthony black was clearly the point guard. He was the shooting guard and Smith is so reliant on the floater and Raphael can attest to this. I love the floater. There's nothing I prefer more about playing basketball, but I don't necessarily want a guy that I want to have the keys to my team having the same skill set as I do. I think he's reliant on on tough shots and guile as opposed to like rim attacking and and athleticism. And I don't think he's necessarily the passer that allows you to like say, okay, he's so in control. And now if you you make him shoot these tough shots at a high rate, uh, that we're not, we're going to live with that. 
and we don't have to worry about him passing. So I have some concerns about him, uh, but I will say the fact that he's such a talented scorer makes me wonder if, if he is a guy that when you're picking around 16 has the same swing for the fences upside as the player like Gigi Jackson, just in a different body type. Well, I say this, like whoever thought that Nick Smith was the point and Anthony Black was the the off guard probably wasn't really paying attention. You just did that. Not, not you specifically. That was assumed based off of their size. Yeah. Anthony Black is the better playmaker. While Nick Smith is more so of a combo guard. I think he can make the basic reads, but Anthony Black is a better passer. But I still think with NBA spacing, I, and I think, you know, with a ball screen, he should be able to get to his spots on the floor where he can knock down his floater. I was concerned about that. He just didn't always get to the rim. And I even saw some reports that called him like a, like a great athlete. He's, I wouldn't consider him like a, a great athlete. He's a good athlete, but in this draft class, I mean, with the Thompson twins and Scoot as a point guard, it it looks like your athleticism goes down a notch when you're in the the same draft as, as those guys. But I do think that with NBA spacing and, in, in ball screens, he should be able to get to his spots and knock down floaters. If you look at Arkansas's team, they had no floor spacing, like between Council, Walsh, Black. So when he was trying to get to his sweet spots, he was in a very crowded lane. And right now, he just doesn't have the frame to handle just, you know, basically just to handle physicality. But I think once he gets stronger, I think he's going to be a whole lot better. All righty, there you have it. I've got one final question for you. If all six of these players are available and you're the Utah Jazz, who are you selecting? At number 16? Yeah. All right. Who, who, did, I, who did I take at nine? Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll say Case and Wallace. So if I took Case and Wallace at nine, then I don't need Smith or, or Buffkin. Then I would just gamble on Gigi Jackson. So say the Jazz took Hendricks, would you still take the swing on Gigi? Or are you going guard then? No, because I think Hendricks, Markinen, and Gigi all are best at the four. So I don't need to <laughs> add that much redundancy there because I think that Markinen is going to stay. So I would, I would definitely go with a guard. And if Nick Smith is available, that's who I would go with. All righty. So he, he's focusing on high potential. That's pretty consistent with what I've – what I've preached in, in previous ones. Well, thanks for you guys tuning in all week. That's it for me this week. And I look forward to talking with you guys later this summer. And next week, the boss man is back. And I'm sure he's got something great in store for you guys. But thank you to Rafael Barlow for joining me today. And I am looking forward to speaking with you guys soon. But until then, have a great weekend. And as always, go Jazz. <laughs>